When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've run a few technical problems with our recording this week, unfortunately. The first time in years, thankfully, but it does happen every so often, no matter how many backups we make. So we had a big chunk of our episode this week cut out. Um, a real shame, but we've worked hard to try and get as much back as possible and got enough to let you hear us revel in a brilliant comeback win for United. Plus, there's an interesting chat about Edison Cavani's controversial Instagram post with South American football journalist Simon Edwards and a bit of a preview of PSG and the usual youth flow and women's roundup. So plenty still to enjoy. Thank you for your patience and um, sorry, it's not quite the usual flowing episode, but enjoy the show nevertheless. El Matador leads a brilliant Manchester United comeback, a weekend on which to smile. United move up to eighth in the table and a win in our game in hand would take us to third after a difficult start to the season, perhaps. That is surprising. It could all change next week, of course, if United have been one thing this season. Well, it's inconsistent, but for now, some celebration and a smile. A good win against Istanbul, Basakshir midweek and a brilliant comeback against Southampton. The under-18s had a good win as well. Your regular youth loan and women's roundup on the Manchester United weekly podcast is in the middle of the show. Well, I'll tell you about that 4-1 win thanks to a hat-trick from United striker. Jack, let's begin with Cavani and Southampton. Um, I think we'll talk specifically about El Matador and his impact off the bench in a second. But first of all, this United team might be consistent, but even down at 2-0 at halftime, you felt we had a chance. And unlike some recent United teams, I, I do believe in this team and I did on Sunday. And I think that's a testament to the the self-belief that Solskjaer has instilled in this United team. They've gone behind in all four Premier League away games this season and yet won all four of them. Yeah, I agree. I I think there was a lot made about this United team maybe not having much mental strength and not being particularly strong after the Spurs defeat, the 6-1 at Old Trafford, which to some degree was understandable given the nature of that defeat. But I, I think actually... This United side is very mentally strong and has shown a lot of character and a lot of resilience, not just in the last few weeks, but in previous seasons as well. I think the big thing that you notice for all his faults as, as a manager and as a tactician that mm. we and others have picked apart, the one thing that you really cannot cannot argue with about Solskjaer and his time as Man United manager is that he has improved the togetherness and the unity in this squad just so, so much. The attitude of the players is such a stark difference to what it was under previous coaches. And you can see it just in the celebrations when uh, after Cavani scored the winner, you know, the way the team all runs over to to the corner with Cavani and, and sort of dives on him. Maguire stayed back to give him sort of an extra uh, congratulations as well. You can see that this team is is together working as a unit. And I think it goes a long way to improving how we're able to respond to setbacks like we did against against Southampton. This team has a lot of faults. I think we all know that, but I think actually it's resiliency, mental strength, and most importantly, togetherness as a team is 100% there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I guess part of the reason that we didn't panic, and I certainly didn't, and it is because the first half as a performance was actually fine, and it was individual quality that was the problem. And we were 2-0 down, 
Southampton showed two moments of, of great individual quality, a, a constant, brilliant set-piece delivery from the corners all day from Ward-Prowse. And that was the case for the, the Bednarek opener and then a brilliant free kick that, to be honest, De Gea did well to get to, um, even if in the end he ended up crumpled in the, the corner of his own net. And, and it, Southampton had that individual quality, United had lapses in it in their own half around their own penalty area Fernandez was guilty of conceding possession too easily Fred gave away too many silly fouls around the box and Ward Prowse scored from one of them and then the other end Greenwood Fernandez and Rashford all should have scored um, and so those individual mistakes made it appear to be a poor performance but in reality the, the setup worked fine so I guess that that meant that you thought United actually only have to do a little bit better to go and win this game. And that's exactly what happened. We'll talk about Solskjaer's changes at halftime in a second, but Cavani, reminiscent of Robin Van Persie. Eight years ago, we were at St. Mary's and Van Persie scored a hat-trick for a 3-2 win. Um, and it was the the world-class movement and, and clinical finishing throughout. He just he proved his worth at Southampton. The first goal evidence of, of great anticipation, the deflected shot from Fernandez comes in and Cavani throws his body towards it, converts it. But he, he, it looks when you watch it as if he always thinks the ball is coming to him. And I guess that's what makes a great strike. And the second also a header, but this time because of, of brilliant movement off the shoulder of his marker. And, uh, and the celebration was as emphatic as his second header was. Uh, worth his weight in gold just for this game alone. Yeah, there was a lot of scepticism and I think maybe some worry among United fans and others about the Cavani signing. You know, we didn't really know what we were getting in a mid-30s player who had just been released and, and hadn't been picked up for months during the transfer window. And he has been starved of opportunities up till now, but I think the Southampton game, the second half, showed exactly what he provides to us. And it is that ability to come in and provide just something completely different to what anyone else in our squad is able to provide. The big thing with Cavani, I think the the sort of phrase and the term that they're a, a natural goal scorer and just have the instincts of a goal scorer is, is a bit of an overused cliche normally, to be honest. But I think in this case with Cavani, it really does apply because he does have that knack of just understanding where to be and anticipating where the ball is going to drop. You know, with for his first goal, you see Van der Beek, for example, doesn't really move when Fernandes picks up the ball, but Cavani is always, always on the move. He's always going into space and he ends up ghosting into that little area around the six, edge of the six yard box and just flings himself at yeah. it. It's a, you know, it's, it's a, not a particularly pretty goal and won't go down in sort of any, uh, any compilations of Edinson Cavani, but I think he actually deserves a lot of credit for his movement there. And the movement for his second goal is, is just sublime. I mean, he, he starts that run across the front post, before Rashford has really even taken a touch, you know, the, as the ball is on its way out to Rashford, Cavani is already making his move towards the front post and gets a great header on it. Yeah. That ability is something that very few strikers ever have had. You know, Van Nistelrooy is probably the only one that I can think of in my lifetime at United that has had that, that knack to just understand where the ball is going to drop and the ability to just direct the ball towards the goal. It doesn't, doesn't really show up very easily but I think when you go back and watch replays and watch highlights you see that that movement coming after after what you've watched it in real time and it is very very difficult thing to master Cavani's not perfect he definitely was rusty in the first few games and hasn't had too many opportunities but that was a great example of exactly why we signed him and what he can provide to us Vardy it's worth mentioning the the assist for Bruno Fernandes as well the quality of the cross the 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 game intelligence to recognise that the defenders who I think were 
Bednarek was the one right next to Bruno Fernandes, that Bednarek would be anticipating a um, a cross coming in for Fernandes to head. And instead, Cavani recognised that because he was anticipating that, he could kind of put it behind Bednarek into Fernandes' feet and he'd have all the space in which to score. Um, and, it, and it was the perfect cross to do that. It, it was right at Fernandez's feet. The the weight of it was perfect for Fernandez to control. And it was another great finish from, from Bruno. Um, so yeah, just, and it, it, it's kind of, um, it, it's expected almost for me from Cavani at, at the very start. I wouldn't have said he's going to come in and, and look this good, but his kind of cameo performances against Chelsea Arsenal and in the, in the Champions League, his movement is just, it's so good to watch. And it, it it's so different to any of United's other strikers who who like to take people on. And it's refreshing and it's not a criticism of the rest of them. But honestly, it's just, it, it puts a smile on my face watching Cavani play, even in the games where he hasn't scored two goals or an assisted one. Even in those 10 minutes where he's come off the bench in, in, in previous games, he's just really good to watch. I'm, I, I'm not going to get carried away. And I, I think it would be wrong for Cavani to be United's starting striker uh, because of his age, given the, the talent in Martial, Rashford and Greenwood and, and the fact that that has to be nurtured and they have to be, getting, be given the opportunities. But an interesting read, I think it was, it was either ESPN or The Athletic talking about Cavani's Ronaldo-esque fitness work ethic and how well he keeps himself and Solskjaer spoke about it after the game as well saying he's so meticulous in his preparation he knows exactly what he wants to eat how he wants to train how he wants to work out and and that means he's the kind of the ultimate professional which is fantastic to hear and if he can have even two more games like that one more game like that then one year at United will quickly turn into two for Edison Cavani now I said in the start United have been very inconsistent this season. There's no getting away from that. And I fully expect us to play West Ham at the weekend and lose 3-1. We have now played four of the six teams above us, including a few at home, um, but a couple away as well. We've had difficult trips to Everton away, Southampton away, and somehow are not in a terrible position in the league. And again can change so quickly but it's I guess it's just it's just a bit comforting isn't it to recognise that we're not that far off where we want to be and we are five points off uh, the top yeah it's quite difficult I think at times for us to keep the perspective and I I don't necessarily blame us or, or fans in general for getting you know very critical of this team at times I think they've deserved it mm, for mm. good portions of the season agreed but it is it is always important that we do keep some perspective about where we are because for all the doom and gloom that we've had for the through the first sort of three months of the season, if we win our game in hand, which again is not a given uh, since this team has been so inconsistent this season, but we win that game in hand and we're suddenly only two points off top, which you know doesn't look particularly bad at all. And it is important that we try and keep that perspective because ultimately we are still picking up a few points. We are, I think, on a bit of an upward swing now. The performances haven't been perfect, like look at West Brom last weekend, but things are, I think, looking up. I think one thing that's really important as well that we often forget is that this this trend that we've seen in the last few years of teams winning the league with 100 points or almost 100 points and only losing you know, one or two games all season, 
that isn't normal. You know, that is an outrageous amount of points to be getting in a season. You know, City and Liverpool setting that standard so high in the last few years, that isn't the norm. And I think it's made us all so much less tolerable for a bad result here and there. You know, most teams until the last few years were winning the league with point, points in the mid-80s. Some teams have won it with points in the 70s before. So when you take that into account, us yeah. having a few bad results at the start of the year, although obviously not ideal, is not is not the the end of the world as it has been in previous seasons. You know, you think about Liverpool last season winning every game to start the season. At this point, we'd already be 14 points behind them. And as it is, we're five with a game in hand. And so it, that honestly makes a massive difference. I don't think we've changed that much from last season so far. But the, the top teams are kind of coming back down to more normality, more normal towards points totals rather than this ridiculous standard that's been set in the last couple of years. Right, Jack's recording went up into heaven and died and unfortunately very silent death here. So any noise would have been nice, but there we go. I've got a few more thoughts, so forgive the occasional jump, but some more analysis on the win against Southampton salvaged as best as I could from me. And then you'll hear from Simon Edwards, a South American football journalist who's based in Medellin, Colombia. I spoke to Simon about Enison Cavani's Instagram post on Sunday evening. And then after that, you'll hear your usual youth alone and women's roundup and then a short preview of of the PSG game on Wednesday night. Yeah. Two things, uh, well, two or three more things to pick up on. Firstly, Solskjaer decisive with his changes. That has certainly not always been the case. Uh, I think we've we've complained on here many a time about him delaying too long, waiting to respond to the game for too long. Not sure whether the Greenwood for Cavani change was tactical or whether Greenwood pulled up with something or felt something during the break. Perhaps he he did because Cavani didn't seem to be completely ready for uh, for the second half. But either way, it, it was decisive and, and game changing, and more of that would would be nice. It's not the first time in recent weeks either. The away game at PSG, he changed the system, and it it works brilliantly. United closed out the game better than than we normally do, um, and 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 went on to get the the winner. Um, so yeah, uh, very nice to see Donny van der Beek first Premier League start. I think uh, I and many many other people were delighted to see that. And like Cavani, van der Beek's great to watch. His movement is a is a problem, um, a thorn in the side for the opposition. And just the efficiency of his passing is great. He had fewer touches and made fewer passes than uh, van der Beek. Rashford, uh, Fred, Matic, Maguire, Tellez, all of these players. But when he, in those fewer touches, he manages to do more. He just gets United's tempo up a bit more and combines really well at times with Fernandez. There's one thing that perhaps could do some work on it. And I think the Van der Beek-Fernandez partnership could be brilliant together. Um, and, and their play in the final third is good, but Van der Beek's always looking for that, that cutback from the byline. And Fernandez normally kind of holds deep in the box rather than moving for that Van der Beek pullback. And if they can work together to kind of get that pattern of play uh, happening more regularly and make more use of it, they could be a, a really fearsome pairing. Obviously, they can't start in every game together. It's very dependent on the system. But played the game together on Sunday against very good opposition and, and did very well. And Fernandez as well deserves credit once again. Gives away the ball too much still in his own half. It's, I mean, it's, that's kind of part and parcel of Bruno Fernandes, it seems. 
it's it's kind of as if he plays the same game all over the pitch, which can lead to problems in in our own half. And he he does give away the ball too much, and it makes Fred's job a little harder as well. But uh, yeah, he, he he still always provides, and you take the um, the last goal, for example, the the Cavani winner. Fernandez tells Harry Maguire to get into the box. Um, as he's taking the free kick, that kind of distracts the Southampton defence. Fernandez passes it out wide to to Marcus Rashford, and suddenly there's a whole new set piece going on. And then Cavani has the space in which to score. Fernandez with the first goal himself, a brilliant finish, and he just continues to to deliver and deliver. And um, I do think that it, you you've said Fernandez and Van der Beek should be the default. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily the default already, but it should certainly be the aim to to have them starting together. It should be the the objective for Solskjaer is to have a team in which both of those players can play. Um, but other than that, uh, my, my final point on the game would be some praise for United's fullbacks, uh, Wan-Bissaka and Alex Tellers, both of whom offered a pretty sizable contribution in attack. Wan-Bissaka with a couple of nice, nice moments and some nice skills, which is certainly something he's added to his game. And Tellers just causes panic in the, the Southampton defence and that, Gives it provides so much to United's game. Uh, and one just nice bit of news, Marcus Rashford. Uh, this is reported by the Manchester Mill. Marcus Rashford uh, in private donated a decent amount of money to Rockies, the chicken shop in Withenshaw, opposite to where he grew up. Um, and that was to in order for the, the chicken shop to be able to hand out free meals after school to the kids from the nearby estates. Um, that wasn't published until the Manchester Mill reported it this week, but just a, a really nice gesture and the fact that it was done in private um, doesn't make it even nicer, but shows that it's not about the publicity for, for Rashford. Okay, joined by Simon Edwards, um, who's based in Colombia, in Medellin, and uh, was looking on as the um, Edison Cavani, I uh, can't quite call it a saga because it was a very short one, but the, the basic situation was Edison Cavani wrote uh, Gracias Negrito to a friend who congratulated him on his two goals against Southampton for United. Uh, Cavani quickly removed the story and apologised quickly to United, have said he understood the the possible connotations and was very apologetic. Um, uh, and this is kind of what you and, and many other South Americans or South American based people were saying, Simon, as soon as the story broke, um, could you explain why you and uh, quite a few others to be fair, were so quick to explain that there was no kind of malintent in Cavani's note to his friend and, and why Negrito should not be seen as racist. Yeah. Look, I mean, I won't pretend that there isn't racism as a serious issue in South America, and it's a different issue. Um, there isn't the same context. You know, if you if you look at an Anglo world, a lot of the words related to race are very potent, understandably, for historical reasons. There's a lot of ways you can express racism in English. Um, and that isn't to say that in South America there isn't a big problem of racism. It's far more casual. Um, it, is a, it is an issue that, that, that needs to be addressed. Um, but the language of race doesn't have anywhere near the same connotation. Negrito is negro, which just means black. There's no connection between negro and other words in English that have similar meanings. Even negro has a very different connotation in English. Uh, it literally just means black. Um, and ito uh, can mean small uh, or little, but it also can be kind of a, a term of affection or a term of endearment that you add to a word. So I might be Simon Tito if someone wants to 
express kind of uh, express endearment, express uh, kindness or connection to me. They might call me Samantito. Uh, and in terms of how these these racial terms are considered in South in South America, the without the the context of of these words being used within, as part of slavery, as part of this power dynamic, they really don't have that that connotation. Um, of course, people can express racist, express racism, and, and demonstrate racism, but the words themselves are very much neutral. Mm. So, negrito is a very much a term of endearment. Um, it people consider race and talk of race in the same way as they would talk about many other physical characteristics, you know, ginger or big guy, little guy, that kind of stuff. So um, if you take away all of the ways in which race in an, in an Anglo and in, in a European context is discussed, then hopefully you can begin to understand how these words don't have that connotation. Uh, if you want to express racism, you would have to use further words because negrito is something now, my girlfriend would be would be negrita or negra in her family. She's kind of brown skinned, but if she's with lighter skinned people, they might call her negrita affectionately as as the darker person in mm. the group. Uh, I, for example, am regularly called mono or monito. Uh, mono is a Colombian slang meaning monkey, <laughs> or it's how it's how someone would refer to as a light skinned person. Uh, it's interesting, but that's a particular particularity to Colombia. But what I would say is. Um, with a very different context, these words don't have anywhere near the potency. So I understand England, of course, because of all of the history of these terms and terminology yeah. and how race has been discussed historically, that these words are very sensitive. But really, um, in a South American uh, Spanish language context, these words have no negative connotations in and of themselves. They can be used to be discriminatory, but in and of themselves, he's just saying to his mate in the most natural way. You would hear commentators on the television using the word negrito constantly, uh, newspapers, TV programs, mm. magazines, because if you take away that 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 racist uh, uh, connotation, um, then they're just a way that South Americans speak very casually about race as they do with many other things without that negative connotation. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. absolutely. I, because I, I was very surprised when I was in, I was in Colombia for a couple of weeks in 2019 and uh, for a bit longer in, in Buenos Aires. And I uh, I was called all, a gringo, mono, blanco in Argentina and in Vaso as well in Buenos Aires, um, which obviously is not related to, to skin color or characteristic, but just being British. Um, but there, there is that kind of everyone has a nickname. <laughs> In, in South America that isn't necessarily to do with their their character, but more to do with their appearance. Um, and I, I was coaching mm-hmm. uh, coaching football with kids in Buenos Aires and there was no holding back on um, on, on Gordo or um, Flaco. There, there are plenty of, of nicknames. Um, so I, yeah. I, I was very surprised at that when I was there and it's certainly a different culture. Do you think, do you think there's a place in English football for making sure because while I think understanding that context is important, the message, because it's that message is going to an English audience. I think for me, I I think it's still important to try and avoid it. If that makes sense. Um, Because the context isn't in, 
in the message itself. Do you think there's a, how do you think you can get around that issue by kind of trying to uh, stop that message being misconstrued so that it encourages or not encourages, but facilitates kind of casual racism in England while not kind of imposing it on a different, a completely different culture and language? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Look, if uh, all I would say is, for example, if I was Cavani's agent, I'd be like, mate, just 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 avoid that. You know, people will yeah. jump on it. But I, I, you know, for me, what's important to understand is the, you know, uh, keep these things can be misconstrued. People can misinterpret them, uh, and I understand why race is the language of race is very toxic often in English, um, in a way that it isn't in South America. Um, so I would I would recommend avoiding using any sort of racial terms because they can be misconstrued and there's a lot more baggage for an Anglo culture with these terms. As I've said, we could talk for hours and hours about racism in South America and it is <laughs> yeah. a problem. But the words themselves don't 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 represent the problem or don't manifest the problem. But what I would say is it's something that maybe players should look to avoid just because it can be misinterpreted. But my also my, my call is to, for an English audience to, because my, my issue is that the, often what happens is as South Americans try to explain the differences and it's a tricky thing to explain. Yeah. We come from a very different context. We don't, we don't see these words in a negative way. Often what happens is the English response will be, Ah, they don't even know they're racist. But these guys, these guys are trying to excuse it, and and that is something that's tricky. So what I would say is to avoid any controversy. Probably best to um, be careful when speaking Spanish in these terms in front of an English mm. audience. But also for the for the English fans to understand that there is a very very different context, and these words do not have that negative connotation. So I think a bit of understanding from both sides. Um, would help um, a bit of care taken by by the South American players to avoid any any controversy and understanding that just because a culture has a different attitude to to terms of race, just because these words don't have the negative connotations, which is a result of history and slavery and all of the things in the European context, doesn't necessarily mean that that this is uh, coming from an inferior or more backwards place. There are lots of things I could complain about in terms of race in South America, but the the comfort and the the the, the lack of toxicity in the language of race, I would say, is a good thing um, rather than a bad thing. And again, I, I understand why it's problematic in English, but I think if people, um, if all of the words related to to being black um, in South American Spanish are neutral. I would say that's a good thing, whereas the reason these words have so much power and so much baggage and so much toxicity and negativity in English is for historical reasons of racism and discrimination. So I think an understanding that from the South American uh, perspective that these words have power and potency in English that you should be aware of, and understanding from the English audience that the reason these players are more comfortable with these words is that their relationship with with race and uh, racism is is different uh, in South America. Not necessarily worse, in some ways worse, in some ways better, but these these words are neutral, and I think that comes from a, a more positive place, uh, largely. 
That's brilliant. Thank you very much for doing that. No worries, man. Yeah, just it's just a case of oh, it's like it's so so difficult because I could I, I part of me wants to go yes. South America is full of racism that yeah. I want to shout and complain about. But this is one small part of it where it's like, no, this actually isn't the problem. <laughs> there are lots of problems that we can look at, but but the fact that people yeah. are comfortable discussing race and that every word to describe someone's race isn't a negative word, like that people aren't tiptoeing around these terms because they haven't been yeah. used to insult yeah. someone ever <laughs> is actually a good thing. But there we go. It's uh, tricky. Manchester United under-23s were beaten 2-0 by West Ham on Friday night. Fakundo Polistri was in action again. He was on the bench for United's Champions League game against Istanbul, Basakshir. Didn't get on for his debut, but it will come soon. He started life slowly, admittedly, in the under-23s, but is now looking confident. Took players on regularly against West Ham and would have won a penalty in the second half were it not for a poor refereeing decision. He certainly wasn't confident enough in those first under-23s appearances, but he is now. He got an, uh, an assist last week and that will give him um, a good confidence boost. It's, it has to be remembered that he is a, a young man settling into life in a new city where a different language is spoken. Arnold Puigma and Antti Alanga were both great as well. Puigma has six goals for the under-23s already. He's been versatile, confident, consistent this season. Probably United under-23s best player alongside Ethan Galbraith. And Ilanga, well, he can improve his finishing and does need to. But when he does, those cutting sides from the left flank will be unstoppable. The, the pace and the anticipation is already there for United's Swedish winger. The under-18s, meanwhile, thrashed Middlesbrough 4-1. A Dylan Hugerverf hat-trick. I was impressed by the fullbacks, Logan Pye, United signed him from Sunderland in the summer and Mark Gerardo he was on the right and United signed him from Barcelona in the summer both of them were good as was Isaac Hansen Aaron the Norwegian signing 16 year old as was the fourth goal scorer Charlie Savage so three goals from Hukovarov one from Savage and a very comfortable result for United that takes them to the top of the under 18s Premier League in low news, Diogo Dalla was a very late sub for AC Milan in a 2-0 win against Fiorentina. Elsewhere in Syria, Andreas Pereira played 14 minutes in a 3-1 loss for Lazio against Udinese. And Ahmad Diallo Traore had a good cameo for Atalanta against Verona with some good touches and runs and decent passing from the United signing who will join the club in January. James Garner in the championship, well, his corner for Watford was flicked on by Craig Cathcart and then finished by João Pedro for Watford in a comfortable win for them against Preston North End. No minutes for Dylan Everett in League One this week, who tested positive for coronavirus, and Joel Pereira was also not given any minutes but was on the bench. Mate Kovar played for Swindon, Tease Chong came off the bench for Werder Bremen, and there were a few performances scattered elsewhere for the rest of the United's low knees, but no action for the women's team this week, who play Aston Villa on Saturday, away from home in the Women's Super League. Jack PSG, this is a, a game that should, I think, should feel bigger than it is. And I think doesn't because there still won't be any fans at Old Trafford. Uh, fans are slowly starting to return in small numbers across the country, but there won't be any at Old Trafford for now, uh, with Manchester still in tier three. But the PSG game still is a big one, very important in terms of the Champions League group, a win for United, and that that's kind of it, you would you would think. Uh that then would not require too much after that. But a lot of questions to ask. Um, Axel Twanbe is, Twanbe is suspended, so it'll look like it'll be a, a Lindelof and Maguire defence. But as Michael Byatz, one of our patrons, asks, he says, does Henderson start against PSG? Does Cavani start? Do we play a diamond? What do we go for? Lots of options. I'll leave you to, to dive into them first uh, before I respond. I reckon Cavani will probably end up starting, I th- you know, I don't think he's going to be our, our long-term first-choice striker at all. The likes of Rashford, Martial, Greenwood are all much more 
integral to our future and therefore will always take the priority in terms of starting. But I do think that Cavani has probably earned the right to start since none of those other three are in particularly great form at the start of the season. And it'll obviously be a, a slightly emotional night for Cavani playing against his former team. So I expect him to start, honestly, and I think he should. That hold-up ability that he has, I think, is going to be key against PSG because like the last game, I expect us to spend a lot of time without the ball during the game. I think his ability to be a bit of a target for us will be really helpful. In midfield, uh, Solskjaer has seemed to default back to the diamond recently, which I expect him to go with again against PSG. It, we we played it for, for portions of the game at the Parc des Princes and it worked really well, so I'm expecting us to go with that again. In terms of the personnel, I reckon it will be Fred and McTominay because that has seemed to be the personnel that he sort of goes to in games where we don't have the ball for a large portions. He seems to prefer that extra mobility in midfield, which is understandable. And I would be surprised if Van der Beek and Fernandes don't start alongside them in midfield. I think that partnership deserves a chance to flourish. And I hope we see a little bit more of that against PSG. A win against PSG would be brilliant, not just for winning against PSG, but it would send United through. And then we were talking about um, resting players like Bruno Fernandes. The, then the Leipzig game would give us a chance to to rest those players and spare them a trip to Germany. Um, I don't think we will beat PSG. I can see a 2-2 draw. Um, and from what, yeah, I'm also concerned about the West Ham game. I think a draw at best. Um, although I, there's a bit, of, I'm certainly more confident about this United team now that Cavani is um, settled in and, and showed his quality. Now that Greenwood is back, now that Van der Beek is getting more chances, those three players in particular, and Alex Tellers as well, actually, those those four players kind of give me more confidence going forward. Um, we're going to wrap things up there for this episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. For more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At UTD Tate, T-A-I-T. You can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself is at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D there. Uh, you should go to that Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod if you want information as to how to sign up to Patreon and support the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. If you sign up and become a patron, you can listen to bonus Q&As at the end of every show, as our patrons are just about to do now, where we're going to talk about players United shouldn't have let go, um, how often Cavani should be playing in the starting lineup, and talk a little bit about the, the Mike Tyson fight. And one question from Ted, who says, which two sides from history would you want to see battle out a nil-nil draw? Ted's gone for United 99 against Barca 2011. We'll be giving our opinions on that as well. But uh, for now, um, if you want to sign up for that, go to at UTD Weekly Pod on Twitter. But for now, have a great week. Goodbye. Podcast Network.